For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done. Recorded live. Good morning, good evening, wherever you may be, across the nation or around the world. Once again, you are listening to the VMware Communities Roundtable Podcast. This is podcast number 365. My name is Eric Nelson, and with me today I have my co-host, Corey Romero. Corey, how, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Eric. You said three, podcast 365. That's like I'm doing a podcast every day of the year, solid, it straight, is, nonstop. Man, that's a lot. It is. It is true. We just keep on rolling. We've had our interruptions, but uh, they're fun to do. We're glad to do them, and it's always good to hang out with people in the ecosystem when we get to VMworld. So, yeah, absolutely. Uh, yep, 365. I think only about 100 of these have been mine, and uh, Mr. Troyer, the man who should not be named, you know, obviously did it 265 of them himself. So, absolutely. away we go. Yep. So, on today's... Today's show, we have Kit Colbert uh, is joining us to talk about cloud native. Uh, I know he's on the call, and we'll get to him in a little bit here, but we'll do some of the news as we're running up to VMworld. There's always lots of things to talk about uh, going out of VMworld, wouldn't you say, Corey? Yeah, there are. there is a lot of stuff this year coming into VMworld for sure. Yeah, and uh, I've heard from Reg that we're ahead of schedule, so registration is looking good. Should get a lot of people there this year, so pretty happy Excellent. about that. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, I think I think all the different technologies we have now, not just virtualization, but storage, networking, cloud native apps, everything coming together brings in a, a good set of people to have some great conversations. So we're looking forward to that. If you've been living under a log and you haven't been paying attention, uh, VMworld Europe, uh, US is 0828, so August 28th which is in about a couple weeks. So if you haven't gotten tickets, you should get some and come. It's in Vegas this year. Goes from 0828 to 0901. Should be a good time, as we say. We're ahead of ahead of schedule on a wrench, so it looks like we're going to meet our numbers of you know lots of people there. Uh, Europe 1017, October 17th, um, and I don't have the second date. I don't know. It's it's again October four days. 20th. Yep, October 20th. So Europe looks good. Uh, hopefully, we'll. Get a lot of you in Europe. As we always say, the Europe and U.S. program is identical. And so um, if you can't make the U.S. one, no worries. Come to Europe. In fact, go to Europe anyway. And we'll all be there looking forward to seeing you there. Um, moving on to some of the things that are actually going to be going on, uh, we posted the gatherings. So Mr. Dunn managed to get the gatherings up. There are like 35 external gatherings listed in the gatherings page on vmworld.com, so go check that out, www.vmworld.com slash em slash gatherings.html, and you'll see all the gatherings that are happening in the evenings. Yep, thanks thanks, thanks uh, to Tony Dunn for getting that up, and thanks for everybody submitting all the gatherings that he did acquire, because I know a lot of those are Google Doc, they came from the community, and there are like 35 things to do in the evenings. That's not counting all the things that are going on in the official show venue and uh, listings, but those are just the evening things that are being done by 
everyone. So go check that out and you'll uh, learn what's going on uh, on VMworld.com. Things that we're doing, Corey, we're very busy. What's going on with the we experts? Are, well, I just had posted a blog post about VExperts, and it's the VExperts that have sessions at VMworld um, in Las Vegas. So if you go to blogs.vmworld.com slash VMTN, you'll see a whole list of all of our VExperts um, along with their session titles. Um, so you can go, and, and, and if that title is interesting to you, that subject matter, go and register and uh, sign up for that session. Um, everything else that's going on with VExperts, we have the VExpert party, which is Tuesday, um, August 30th at 7 p.m., and that's going to be at the Mob Museum, which is the, uh, the old mobster museum um, in Las Vegas. Um, so, so far, we're almost sold out of tickets. We just reached over uh, 300 last night and uh, added a few more. And uh, so we're just 300 and change at the moment. And I did get the confirmation that Pat was on his calendar. So I know Pat will be dropping by and saying hello to everybody Excellent. that's coming to the expert party. Yeah. So get there. I heard his special guest might not be there. Um, Michael Dell is around with Pat during the show. We're trying to see if we can get him there. Not sure that's going to happen. I've heard various yeah, things. Yeah, I've heard things too as well. He won't be right, able to right. so, so maybe he won't be there. Uh, but that should be good. So um, other things that are going on that we're running, the social team itself is running. We've got uh, the code booth um, that's going to be in the hang space. So we have... I guess they're going to call it the VM Village this year, uh, but we have quite a number of things going on. We've got uh, the Vlogger Community uh, Studio. So if you're interested in doing a video blog, um, you want to talk about that, Corey, how people might want to register time to do a vlog? Yeah, absolutely. So if you um, are looking for space, so, so, so usually back in San Francisco, um, we'll find people who are running around to, trying to set up a podcast or a video area. And it's kind of always been difficult to do to have a professional backdrop. Uh, most people just kind of drop into a space, shoot real quick, and then they're out of there. Um, what we did this year, and we also did the previous year in Las Vegas, or the previous time we were in Vegas, was uh, we're setting up a professional studio with a professional backdrop where um, we will have video gear ourselves um, but you're also more welcome to bring your own uh, gear to do videos or to do podcasts. And if you want, and it's a completely free service. So if you want to just show up and, and spend an hour doing that, we're going to provide that that booth for you. To find out more information, kind of how to sign up for that, go to blogs.vmworld.com/vmtn, and you'll see the blog post titled "VMworld 2016 Las Vegas Video and Podcast Studio." Fantastic. So you can book book time. Um, we got gear, or you can use your own gear. Has the backdrop, makes it really look professional. VMworld 2016 backdrop, uh, so your stuff looks like you're there in a professional capacity, Absolutely. which is great. Right, perfect, perfect. We know that Alistair Cook and Lee Brownbag is going to be there as always, and we're going to start hyping the sessions that they've got. We got a, I know they they've sent us over an agenda of the people that are doing community sessions at the at the V Brownbag area in in the village. As long as, as as well as our obviously our blogger tables, um, and then next door we have code.vmware.com, the code program, uh, which is going to have Oculus Rifts there for a virtual experience. I hear they're giving out 400 of the kits that allow you to make a Oculus Rift with your iPhone or your Android. So I know they're going to have those as giveaways. Uh, they the experience they've created with the 3D camera is a pivotal walkthrough, pivotal lab. So you're going to be able to see, you know, what we've got. Um, 
uh, in Pivotal, you can come by. I think there's some presentations on VMware technology as part of that. Also, uh, William Lamb and Ellen Reduth are going to be there doing REST API uh, code sessions so that you can learn about the latest REST APIs available for doing that. I know we're also running in the evenings uh, the code meetups, and the first one on Monday is going to be a hackathon. So William and Ellen are currently promoting teams uh, with ideas around what people are going to be writing. Uh, I think it's around the REST APIs and experiences with you know um, various ways to deploy. It's focused on obviously VMware technologies, uh, whether it's being writing Power CLI stuff or REST APIs. And though they're making five Nuke labs for each one of the teams, there'll be five teams. You'll have your own lab, uh, and then uh, when you're on a team, if you win, I think you're going to get to get get to uh, possibly take your Nuke back with you if you win the contest. So. That's kind of cool, and I know we're going to raffle off uh, one of the Nook Labs uh, as well. So if you haven't seen William Labs' uh, uh, la uh, Nook uh, Lab environment, you can go check that out on virtualghetto.com. That's his blog, and he talks about how to build his own lab, and he's going to be building five of those. Raffling off one is signed by William Lamb, so that should be fun for the hackathon. And then the second day, Tuesday, is going to be uh, open source projects. So we've got speakers coming in. Uh, kind of birds of a feather model for that. Uh, all of this takes place in uh, the Luxor, which is right next door, land bridge over from from where VMworld is being held. Monday and Tuesday evening, that's happening, so that'll be pretty cool. Um, what else am I missing there, Corey? That we have, we have a tweet up for for our new community manager, right? Yeah, we do. We have a new uh, community manager. Um, it's, uh, her name is Katie Bradley. And uh, that tweet up is going to be uh, Monday, August 29th at 1 p.m. to 2 p.m. And that's going to be in the VMware Village in the community and social media area. So, um, you know, right next to the uh, to the B Brown Bag Studio. It's now, are we going to have some kind of beer or anything like that? Have we, have we done anything there? We should probably look, look at that. Yeah, yeah we'll talk about that offline. Yeah, I, I, yeah I'm, I'm kind of wrestling that tiger. Right. And then the last thing that we, we should mention is we are going to have uh, we're also going to have a couple of beams. I don't know if, you, if people have ever beamed in or out using uh, um, uh, the, the virtual presence devices, which is what uh, you know various people have used to visit conferences without actually being there. So we're going to have a couple beams there uh, that you'll be able to beam in if you want. So if you aren't going to be at the show, but you're listening to this and you want to beam in and say hello to us or visit the, the developer uh, booth, the code.vmware.booth, we're going to have we're going to have beams there. You can beam in and out and drive them around. So that should be also pretty cool. So I think also we have big screens, social presence, uh, Facebook live streaming during the show. So if you ha haven't been at the show, we're, we, there is a on VMworld.com a video presence. You can go check out the video presence, check out the live streams, streams, watch the keynotes. Uh, so there's plenty of uh, stuff for the community members to do if you're not at the show, but hopefully you can make it to the show because there's going to be a lot of people there, and we'd love to see you or beam in and say hello, and we'll see you that way. So going to be kind of cool. And if you haven't seen a beam, you can Google B-E-A-M. It's a virtual presence device, so Google Beam plus virtual presence, and check out the bots. Uh, uh, Snowden uses them to visit conferences and cruise around New York while he's in, uh, in uh, Russia. 
So if you haven't seen those, they're pretty cool. Can't make it to VMworld. Check out the beams. Uh, a lot of stuff going on. Looking forward to it. What else am I missing, Corey? Anything else? I think we've covered everything. Yeah, I think that's I think that's everything on uh, on my side that I know about and everything that uh, that we're both doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. So busy times. Can't wait to uh, see all you guys and introduce Katie. Katie, she's amazing. Uh, and so we're looking forward to the whole event this year. Should be should be a little bit special. We only get a new community manager every four or five years, maybe six years. Every once in a while, we get to have somebody <laughs> to the team. So it's a big event for us. We're really excited about it. Um, and so can't wait to see the people there that come and visit us and say hello. She'll be at the expert party as well. So if you make it by the expert party, but definitely come by the village, come by the code booth, come by, record a blog or a blog and wish us some fun there. All right, moving on to the show. That's it for the news and information. A lot of stuff going on. Um, but now we get to the real meat of technology and VMware products. And today we're going to talk and get an update on where VMware is on cloud native applications, um, VMware integrated containers, all this kind of stuff. And with us today, Kit Colbert. Kit, you, are you out there? I am here. Kit, nice to have you on the show again. I know you came last year and spent some time talking to us about what was happening in cloud native and it's a whole year later and I know we've done a lot of stuff but before yep. you get started why don't you give me a the, the 60 second if people new to the show haven't heard who you are give me a 60 seconds how long you've been with VMware and what do you do sure yeah so I've been with VMware for about um, well it'll be 13 years next month I guess and I've done all sorts of stuff uh, across the company well, uh, you know, on the engineering side, um, kind of owns the vMotion technology, uh, created storage vMotion, helped to start the vRealize operations team, uh, was CTO for end-user computing, and um, most recently ran our cloud-native initiative. Um, I just recently transitioned actually into a CTO role for our cloud platform business, which oversees both vSphere as well as cloud-native and uh, some upcoming projects that we'll be announcing later this year. So I'm kind of feeling good because I'm getting back to um, being more of a hands-on technologist than I was for the past year and a half or so as the GM for CNA. Yeah. Um, well, well but, it's, it's great to have you on the show, and it's, it's great to have you at the company. I mean, aside from Steve Harrod, I think you're like what I would consider the, the, the longest-running, coolest tech guy we have at the company, other than, of course, all of the experts. So yeah, you've been <laughs> everywhere and done everything. So. Thank you. Yeah, no, it's been, yeah. A, it's been a really fun ride, and obviously it's just great to be at a company with such amazing technology and such uh, innovative customers that are always pushing limits and, and pushing us to do better. Right. So, so we hear about cloud native, you know, we CNA, cloud native applications. You know, what, what is it? What's, what's driving interest here? Why are we here talking about it? Sure. Yeah, there's a tremendous amount of interest around cloud native. And, and, and the term cloud native we use is somewhat of an umbrella term for a whole bunch of different things that are happening. I mean, on the one hand, there's um, <clears throat> application packaging technologies such as containers, uh, Docker that are really coming to the forefront. Uh, there's application uh, delivery methodologies uh, and operational methodologies like DevOps or continuous integration and deployment. There's application architecture uh, evolutions that are happening around you know, microservice-based applications, 12-factor apps, distributed apps in general. And, you know, when you, and so cloud-native, we kind of use this as an umbrella term to really encompass all those different aspects. And so, and, and so the, the reason that folks are interested in this 
is because of the fact that you know we're seeing this shift as everyone, uh, you know, consumers, users, you know, go more toward uh, using digital devices. Companies are seeing that the way that they can really differentiate themselves is via the software that they build, right? So you know, there's a lot of different examples that are out there. Folks like um, John Deere, traditionally a tractor company, but then um, you know that they've done a lot over the last few years to really turn themselves into actually a big data analytics company where all the tractors are you know, shooting up data from the fields that they can go analyze and figure out how to uh, optimize the yield of those lands uh, that, that right. the tractors yeah. are working on, right? And so it's a, yeah, and it's know, a very different value prop that's there. Right. It's interesting. Even things like my son works at Roku as a hardware engineer now, and uh, he's look, they're looking at it, and you look at some of their business models, and they're like, even they are getting into the – even a video streaming company is getting into – big data as their business because tracking what people watch, like it, it's everywhere, even in small devices are looking at like, all right, now we look at device usage and how people are using it and what can we do for those people based on that big data. So it's phenomenal that it's oh, touching it's everywhere now. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the rise of machine learning over the past few years has been especially intriguing as well. Um, you know, I think people spend a lot of time collecting data and now what we're really starting to do is saying, you know, what can we do? What can we do with that data? How can we get better insights? And then what that does is that kind of has a virtuous feedback loop back to the business saying, okay, you know, we have some insights now. Now let's go execute on those insights. And so what you need to do then is figure out how do you actually get software products to market faster so you can react um, as you see changes in the market, as you get additional insights, you can react as quickly as possible. I mean, the idea. Yeah, I guess. I, yeah, I guess if you're collecting that data like that, uh, the quicker you can respond to that data, you know, the data gets old and and less useful as time goes by. So being able to to you're no longer in this. Let's develop a product for a year and and deploy it. You, you have to be much more agile than that, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So it's really about looking at, you know, if you take the this end-to-end view of, you know, the business has an idea for a product in the market. And then you want to go and implement that. Uh, or sorry, what's, what's the delta between the delta in terms of time between when someone has that idea and when that idea is implemented as code running in production? What you know, how long does that take? Does it take a year? Does it take uh, a month? Can you do it in a week? Can you do it in a day? You know. And I think you see, you know, the, the highest performing companies are the ones that can do it extremely rapidly, i.e., in a day or in a few days usually. Um, right. And you know, it doesn't mean that just because it's running in production that every single person that accesses the website will see it. You could run in production only for you know, one one-thousandth of the web population uh, just to get some feedback on it, right, and then kind of iterate based on that feedback. So in any case, you know, when you start looking at how do you move that fast, it becomes very clear that the traditional operational models that we have in the data center just don't allow for that. They actually try to slow things down, right? The assumption was that the slower you go, you know, the, the more process you have in place, the more sort of change controls you have, the safer you will be. And I think right. what we've seen from a lot of the, the web scale giants like Google, Facebook, et cetera, uh, are actually that that's not necessarily true. And in fact, the opposite can be true, that you can move very, very fast and yet maintain even higher standards uh, of security, of performance, et cetera, um, than these more traditional methods would allow. Yeah, and, and that's interesting because having worked in trying to deploy apps for as long as we have, in the social and community space, it's like we went from when when everybody started driving 99.99% uptime, you could just see how hard it was to get things deployed because everybody was so critically worried about making sure what you deployed 
absolutely was rock solid and stable, and it was very monolithic, right? So we would have to spend, you know, four months testing and making sure that what we were going to deploy was going to meet that uptime. So yep. what's happening that's changing that now? Well, I think it's, I think it's, you know, as an industry, we're learning uh, better how to do a lot of these things. And, um, and, and part, of it, part of it's coming with, uh, you know, advancement. I mean, again, it's advancements across the board. So, like, uh, you want to move faster. But a lot of times the ability for you to move faster is actually inhibited by an application's architecture. Right, so you got to rethink yeah, how, right. how you do architecture because you've got this big monolithic application that, like, you know, two thousand developers are putting changes into. It's like things are constantly broken, and to get out a new release, you have to get, kind of organize all two thousand of these people so that um, you know they can ch- turn in less and less changes, so there's less and less churn, so you can actually get to a more stable point. Whereas we see with the microservice movement, the idea is to actually go to smaller units um, of architecture. Right. And then, you know, have these things communicate through well-defined APIs so that churn is isolated to that, that individual component and doesn't leak across them. And once you have that, then you can actually uh, update and iterate on those individual components separately so that they're not bottlenecks for each other. So you can actually get some parallelism out of it. So, you know, that's, that's part of it. Part of it as well is, again, just kind of rethinking the, the, the architecture of the whole system uh, from an operational standpoint, as folks like Google have done, right? It's... You make you know make the app responsible for availability and resiliency, and make make the underlying infrastructure super lightweight and simple. Um, and that way, again, you can get much greater levels of scale, much greater efficiency in terms of your infrastructure operations. So, so if, if I, so, yeah. so if we've invested a ton in infrastructure at VMware, right, where we have you know whole data centers running vSphere. What does this mean? How what is VMware doing to yeah. you know to, to harness this now? Yep. Well, I think it's important to look at, you know, the way I kind of look at it is, is kind of a, a maturity curve, right, or a journey. Kind of like most, most folks are still in the more traditional model. Um, they either have in-house applications that are architected in a more monolithic way. They're using off-the-shelf software from ISVs that, again, are more sort of monolithically architected. So this necessitates them to have a more traditional operational model, again, leveraging change control and that sort of thing for governance within the data center. And uh, that all makes sense, right? Um, but obviously they're looking at how can they move faster. And so, you know, they're kind of one end of the spectrum. The other end of the spectrum might be, you know, again, like the, the Googles of the world who have, like, crossed over that hump, who have their applications re-architected, who have massive levels of scale, who have a full sort of continuous integration and deployment environment. And so, you know, really what we're looking at as VMware is how do we help people move along that maturity curve from where they are today with more traditional apps, more traditional architectures, more traditional development methodologies, to where they want to be, which is something more akin to the web scale uh, companies, right? Where, again, very high levels of scale, very highly distributed architectures, um, very sort of DevOps and agile-oriented uh, software development methodologies. So there's a number of different you know, areas that, that, or things that we're doing to support this. Uh, we announced two of the big ones last year at VMworld, uh, vSphere Integrated Containers and Photon Platform. Let me take a moment okay. to talk through what each of these things are at a high level and um, and how they compare and how they sort of help, again, with this journey that the customers our customers are on. So <clears throat> vSphere Integrated Containers, at its simplest, is all about extending vSphere with native Docker integration. So 
And so you might ask, okay, well, why do you need that? Right. Well, if you look at the way that people operate vSphere today, um, again, they, they, they manage things typically on a per VM basis, right? And sure. this, mo this model of, of, how we, of how we did virtualization was that you had one physical host, or, you know, pre-virtualization, a single physical host with uh, usually one major application running on it, right? One Windows host right. with Exchange or one other host with Oracle or, you know, what have you. And so as you virtualize, you maintain that same sort of one app per VM model. Now, what that meant was that because there's only a single application running in the VM, it meant that anything you did to the VM, you implicitly do to the application. So if you pull performance data from the VM, then you're kind of getting the performance data for the app. If you backed up the VM, you were backing up the application. Uh, if you, you know, ran a security or compliance analysis on the VM, you're implicitly doing that on the app. And so what we saw is this really powerful abstraction layer where it didn't matter what was inside the VM. You could do all these great... Um, you know, great operational capabilities just at the VM level. And so you're able to apply that to whatever sort of app was running inside that VM. Now the challenge sure. that can, uh, so, you know, containers, you know, things like Docker, you can install Docker in a VM and it works just fine. That's not the issue. The issue is how do you go and operationalize that in a data center? How do you go and do security analysis? How do you do performance monitoring? How do you do you know, network virtualization and storage persistence management and you know, all the other things you've got to go and do? And the reality is that folks have figured that out um, for you know, traditional workloads based in VMs. But containers kind of break that model because in a container world, you actually typically have multiple containers per VM. And so because of that, um, the the uh, operations folks, they can't see, you know, inside the VM, they, they don't see how many containers there are running there. They don't know that. They see one VM, there could be one container in it, there could be no containers, there could be 10 containers, there could be 100 containers. And they don't know if those containers are from the same application, um, if they, you know, maybe they shouldn't be if they're from different applications. Uh, and there's some security issues, that one app is super secure, one's not. Can they be running in the same virtual machine? Is that allowed? Uh, you know, if you pull performance data from the VM, you might see certain indicators like, you know, CPU utilization is high, but does that mean that one of the containers is affected? Or are they all affected? Um, is there some sort of noisy neighbor problem? Uh, you know, if you're managing storage for that VM, is it like managing storage for all the containers? And how does that work when you reprovision containers? So anyway, you, if you start thinking it through, you can start to see that a lot of the existing tooling um, starts to fall down. Uh, with with the advent of containers, and this is a all of, for our customers, yeah, all, right? All of this con all of this tooling, we've already put this all in place for all the VMs all over the yeah. course of the years, and so all of a sudden you have all this tooling that now you know no longer applies to container visibility or container management. So I exactly. you definitely see that as the first thing you hit when you start rolling out a large container yeah. deployment. What am yeah. I, how am I going to control all this? Yeah, exactly. And you know, we talk with you know I've talked with a number of customers. In fact, I was. Recently, down in Australia, talking with a, a, a bank customer there, and um, and you know, I was asking them if they were using Docker, and, and they were uh, in dev test, and I was like, "Do you guys have any production Docker?" And they're like, "Yeah, we have one app running in production." And I'm like, "Oh, okay." So I started asking them, you know, how do you how are you doing that? How are you operating it? Uh, you know, I picked monitoring out of all of them. I was like, you know, how how do you do monitoring for that? And they're like, "Oh, we don't." I'm like, "Oh, this is production though." They're like, "Yeah." I'm like, "Well, how do you know if it's a performance issue?" Like well, we don't unless someone tells us. I'm like, well, that seems like a problem, isn't it? And they're like, yeah, it is. You know, that's not going to scale. It's <laughs> right. not. You know, so people are kind of are realizing this, and they're very 
worried about it, but they're not really sure what to do about it either. And so, you know, really what Visa Integrated Container solves is the operational problem of getting containers into production with the sort of enterprise requirements that our customers have, right? It's not just running a container in a VM. It's about enabling all the different operational tools that are built into vSphere and, you know, around vSphere, you know, all the different software-defined data center tooling that we have at VMware or all of our partners' you know, tools as well. And so the, the really powerful thing about vSphere integrated containers is that it makes a Docker container seem like a VM to all those tools, which means that all these tools, you know, everything that our customers have built out in their data centers now just magically work with containers, right? You know, the backup software that operates on VMs. Now that works with containers. Performance management software that operates on VMs. Now that works with containers. Uh, the compliance software that works against VMs. Now that works with containers. So again, you know, uh, we we kind of we do it in such a way that um, from the northbound side, the developers still see Docker and they see Docker APIs. They can use their native tooling to go do whatever they need to do, right? To deploy the app, to, to rebuild it, etc. Uh, but from right. the southbound side, the operators see VMs. So it's kind of like an interesting thing where, you know, vSphere integrated containers kind of sits there in the middle and provides two very complementary views. One is to the developers, so they see containers like they want to, and one is to the operations team, so they can see VMs like they're accustomed to. Now, now, the, now the guys that are using Docker, do they have to do something special to, to, to pick up a container that's using the VIC, VMware integrated containers? Or do they just kind of use Docker yeah. and they get it? No, they just use Docker. That's the whole point is that, like, you know, from their point of view, they actually don't even know that it's vSphere they're talking to, right? I mean, it's a Docker API. For all they know, it could just be a normal Docker host, you know, running whatever. I mean, from their point of view, it may even, maybe they think it's even running, you know, on bare metal somewhere, right, or someone's laptop. Like, they, they have no idea. It's just a Docker endpoint with an you know, IP address and credentials and, and, the, and the Docker API. And so uh, that's the beauty of it is that, you know, there's this uh, – you know, rich kind of developer ecosystem building out around Docker uh, right. for, for the dev test side. And, you know, we want to be able to embrace that ecosystem and be able to let developers also use the tools that they know and love, right? Just like we want to enable the operations folks to use the tools that they're already familiar with and already have uh, built out. Right. So on vSphere integrated containers on the on the VM side of the house, you know what's what's the magic that then is there a lighter VM? Uh, what what does the integrated mean what, sure. on the on the side of that on the on the container side? I guess yeah. On the VM side. Well, um, yeah. So you, so basically, you know, VMware integrated containers is a number of of capabilities. One of which is actually a container engine. So we are actually building a container engine. And what this container engine does, it's a little bit different from the, the traditional Docker engine. Of course, you know, again, on the northbound side, it exports a Docker API so that the Docker tools can talk to it. But yeah. instead of, you know, what Docker does, Docker actually calls down into Linux to go and create these Linux containers. And what VMware integrated, vSphere integrated containers does is actually talk to vCenter to create a VM um, whenever a container needs to be run. And then what we do is, we um, you know, map in a VMDK to that VM with a container image on it and then run that container image. So the container is running effectively in its own VM, its own runtime. And that, nice. that, that gets us back to that one-to-one -one mapping I talked to before, you know, one app per VM. Right. Now we have one container per VM. And that's exactly what enables then all the visibility. This is, this is a try-and-true VM, you know, normal VM in terms of what you know, vSphere sees. And so that means that 
you know, that VM is visible in the vSphere APIs, uh, in the vSphere UI. Uh, that means that anything that talks to vSphere can see that. That means that anything you can do to a, any other VM, you can do to this VM, right? Connect an NSX endpoint to it, attach a storage volume to it, pull, pull performance data from it, you know, whatever you want to do. That's just a, a normal VM that you can now do that to. So that, that's really where the magic is, if you will, right? Um, right? Now, the first question we get about this is like, okay, well, that's great. That makes sense, the one-to-one -one model. But, you know, is this actually efficient? I think a lot of people have this notion around that, that VMs are, you know, kind of inefficient and containers are, are super lightweight, right? And, uh, you know, the, the answer to that question is that, you know, it absolutely is efficient. It's very efficient, as a matter of fact. If you look at the technology be, behind this whole thing, you know, VMs are not inefficient. The VM itself is extremely lightweight. It starts up, especially if you do, you know, you skip the BIOS boot, it starts up in, I don't know, a tenth of a second, hundredth of a second. Um, now, the thing that takes a while, and, you know, basically takes no resources, the thing that takes a while and the thing that eats up memory is your operating system. The operating sure, system right. is what's really fat and heavy. It's not the VM. The right. VM right. is this really lightweight abstraction that we maintain. And frankly, you know, now that we've been working with Intel for the better part of 15 years or whatever, we pass off most of the core compute and memory virtualization to the processor anyway. I mean, there's very little overhead, you know, from, from even running the VM. So <clears throat> VMs are very lightweight. Operating systems typically being fat and heavy. Now, we have seen, uh, as, you know, with the rise of containers, is these lighter weight, container-optimized operating systems. And, you know, we saw that trend and saw a lot of value there. Um, but the thing we didn't see them doing, uh, the operating systems vendors, that is, is doing that. The second thing is, you know, if you're going to go kind of optimize northbound, optimize for the container runtime on your OS, why don't you also optimize for the southbound, i.e., if you know this container or this OS is almost always going to run in a VM, let's optimize uh, for that underlying hypervisor. So that's you know, what we were thinking when we released our Linux uh, OS called Photon OS uh, back in April of last year. Right. And the idea there is Photon OS is actually optimized both for containers, but also for the underlying uh, vSphere hypervisor. So the version of Photon OS that we use in vSphere integrated containers actually has about a 25 megabyte disk footprint. So right, most Linux distributions are in the order of gigabytes. This thing, 25 megabytes, like super slim, right? Um, on, the, on the latest uh, builds we have of it, we can boot that OS from start to finish in about 200 milliseconds. So a fifth of a second from nothing to, to fully up and running, ready to go. So, you know, we, when you start, uh, and then also, by the way, um, performance improvements. So we've been, we've been really looking through uh, the Linux kernel and doing some modifications there to make it run better on top of ESX. And so what we found in some of the tests we've done is that we see if you take, you know, basically um, two VMs on the same host or on the equivalent hosts running the same app but different operating systems, one running a traditional Linux operating system, one running Photon, right. same, same kernel version and everything, they try to reduce the variability as much as possible except it's Photon versus uh, different OS, Linux OS, we see about a, a 5%, uh, sometimes greater, improvement in runtime performance because of these sort of optimizations that we're doing. So, right. uh, so there's a lot of innovation happening at the OS level as well. So what makes vSphere integrated containers you know, really quick is the fact that we actually leverage this really lightweight Photon OS operating system. And um, now, 
you know, some folks will want to use Windows or want to use something else, right? Uh, different OS. Maybe maybe people are um, standardized on Red Hat or whatever it is. And so for those cases, what we're going to be eventually offering, and that's what we talked about last year at VMworld, is a technology called Instant Clone. And what Instant Clone does is actually takes a running VM and forks it. So again, it takes you know, a fraction of a second to make an identical copy of that running VM. And so the idea there is instead of booting up a fresh VM with this operating system that will take forever to boot, we can kind of pre-boot it, if you will, and keep it warmed up. And as new container requests come in, we can fork off copies of that already pre-booted OS very, very quickly. So, you know, long, this is kind of a long answer, a long detailed technical answer to the question of, you know, is vSphere integrated containers efficient in terms of the one-to-one -one mapping between containers and VMs? And the answer is absolutely yes, right? Uh, very fast startup time, um, very high density we can get uh, with it. So, Yeah, that makes, that makes complete sense because if you look at a 25 meg OS, it's just so tiny in, to, in today's data-centric world that, 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 that the allocation time you have for getting that up running and, and placing it and the fact that we got Intel CPU integration, it's just like that's not going to be a factor anymore. Your, your factor of application performance is going to be your app itself, right? Not the platform or not the, not the layers that, that manage your containers, right? I, yeah. I can totally see that, right? Yeah. That, makes, yep. that, makes, that makes sense, right? right. So, so we have Vic. We announced it last year. Where's yep. the project? How's it going? When do we see this stuff come out? When are we going to start seeing it show up in the data center? Yeah, so uh, good question. So we actually, so uh, Vic is an open source project. So you can actually find it on GitHub today, VM, vmware.github.io. Um, so it's there. You can go play with it. Uh, it's not done yet. You know, still in development. There will be some you know, an, uh, announcements about it at VMworld. Can't say anything yet, but... Uh, um, I would encourage you to go check out you know, the open source bits. There's a, you know, pardon me, a pre-built binary you can go and download and deploy into your environment today. So, so it's out there, right? And we, we're committed to developing it in the open, um, working with the which community is, on it. Which is new, new for us, right? I mean, yeah, that's, that's a great yeah, thing. So I mean, that's, yeah. that's, we've had open source projects, but when you start getting into yep. like core VM, vSphere, that kind of stuff, and you know, putting up a platform layer in there, that's, that's, that's great that we're kind of open source. That's, that's yep. pretty cool. Yeah, no, well, we want to get it out there early and often. We want to get feedback. You know, we've got a bunch of people playing with it, and they're giving us uh, various points of feedback, things we can improve, uh, you know, things we didn't think about. So this is kind of what, we, what we're doing, and, you know, the aim is to drive better overall quality, better overall you know, set of features, so on and so forth. So, yeah, yeah and I, I, I can see VMware. I mean, this is kind of a side, but it's around the developer whole space. It's like VMware's starting to get serious about open source itself, right? We hired, um, I forget the new guy that's that, that's joined us yeah, from Intel, Dirk, yep. Dirk right? And uh, yep. and you know he's he's out there now. We're we're really actually putting a lot of energy around you know the open source space and and getting contributors, not just ourselves, into our projects. So I think that's something interesting, right? That that we're excited about from a community perspective. So, yeah. Thanks for making that happen. Well, I mean, it's uh, not just me. I mean, we're, we're doing a bit of open source, but I think I think what you're getting to is that there's a broader movement within VMware to say, look, um, open source is a real trend, and um, you know, it, it's got so many benefits to it in terms of just you know openness with the community and being able to get you know higher quality software, better features, better feedback. Um, so on and so forth. So there's just a lot of uh, positives to it that um, right. that we're fully embracing, right? 
So, so shifting gears here from, you know, because I, because I know you've got this new role as well, where now you're talking cloud, right? So, you know, we hear about cloud, you've got NSX cloud to, to Amazon, all this stuff. Like, can you give us a picture of what cloud native means and what's, what's happening when we talk about cloud in this space now? Sure, yeah. So, um, yeah, my new role, the, the cloud platform BU, it's really, the better way to think of it is kind of all the different kind of compute projects that VMware has. Um, so there's, uh, you know, vSphere, as we all know and love, uh, the cloud-native stuff with uh, vSphere integrated containers and Photon and a couple of other projects. Um, and then there's a few other things as well within core cloud platform that um, that we'll be announcing over the course of the second half. So, you know, I, I think, uh, you know, our evolving view around cloud is really like how, how do we help customers um, to support you know, any cloud that they happen to use, right? Um, we have a lot of customers that are, you know, have a number of workloads out on, say, Amazon, public clouds. Many customers have things on-premises still. Um, and so, you know, I think they're looking for a, a number of different um, capabilities there. It's like more consistent management, more consistent, even infrastructure capabilities like networking. Like, you know, how do you simplify the network connection between public and private? and make it more dynamic. So there's a bunch of these different areas that, that we're really looking at. Um, again, no no details on that yet, but uh, it's definitely an active area that um, we're uh, developing, and um, you'll, you'll see some more announcements about this at VMworld. That, that's, that's cool. And VMworld, VMworld is coming up in a couple of weeks. Um, yep. We expect to see some of these. Um, are you going to be there? Or are you going to be doing? Uh, you're going to be on stage, keynotes. Uh, you got yeah. some sessions planned. What's what's, what's what's your story? Well, I'm, dude, it's going to be <laughs> a busy few days. Um, just looking at my calendar for that week. Yeah, it's it's, it's going to be fun. So uh, I will be up on stage uh, doing part of the keynote again um, for the cloud native section and uh, talking about some you know exciting things going on there. Um, you know, there's just there's just a ton of activity uh, happening. Right. So there's, right. I mean, you know, across the board, right? Meeting with customers, meeting with press, meeting with analysts. Um, do you do you have a session, or do you? I know there's a bunch of cloud native sessions. There's like yeah. hundred cloud native sessions. Are you going to be in yeah. one of those sessions anywhere? So I will. So again, I'm doing the keynote part, which is, as you may imagine, a ton of work just to you know really flesh that out. And, um, you know, Cloud Native, I think we, we have our own track again this year. And I can't remember, I think right. we have 10, 10 or 12 sessions in that. Um, okay. One, right. one of which is a spotlight session. And so that spotlight session is being done by uh, this guy named Paul Fazone, who has taken over as the GM for our Cloud Native business unit. Uh, again, as I tra sort of transitioned out, Paul came in. Uh, so Paul will be running that spotlight session, and so that effectively will be a double click of what you know, you know, the keynote session. Given, I think, uh, as you guys know, it's two days of keynotes, each an hour and a half long, uh, and kind of spread across all the different things that we're doing at uh, VMware. And so um, you know, I'll, I'll have one section of that, but then what Paul's going to do is really take you know what I'm talking about in the keynote and really expand upon it for a full hour, and you know, really dive into a lot more details. Uh, and more technology and so forth than you can cover in, in a keynote. So I'd highly recommend checking out the Spotlight session. I believe that's going to be um, Tuesday morning at 11 a.m. Um, okay, right. So. so so you can search on Paul, go find him, and uh, sign up and schedule builder. It's open. So that, that's that's awesome. Right? Yep. 
and drive people there. Um, other things that in the cloud space, you know, and I'm just picking your brains. This is not a list, so these these questions might come out of left field, and you can just say, nope, don't know anything about it, or you know, have no idea, or that's a dumb question. They're all good. Uh, one of the things is, you know, we're working with IBM in cloud. Uh, you know, we've we've worked with other cloud vendors. We have the vCloud Air partner network. Are you seeing some of these vendors pick up on the cloud native story? Uh, oh, absolutely. Yeah. So I mean, and. You know, I think we're, we're really, as I said before, I think looking um, for a pretty broad strategy on cloud. I think that um, what we've seen and heard loud and clear from customers is that you know they're not standardizing on a single a cloud, especially public cloud. They actually are using multiple clouds. And they do that for a variety of reasons. Um, different clouds can offer them different capabilities. Uh, I think they're also really worried about you know kind of locking into any singular cloud and, and just you know, kind of getting stuck there. So they're right. um, moving, making sure they have a number of different cloud uh, implementations going across vendors, uh, public cloud vendors, just to allow them a bit more flexibility. And so as you start looking at that, and you, know, you start hitting a bunch of problems in how you do cross-cloud management and orchestration and other sorts of capabilities. And so I think, um, you know, what we see from a VMware perspective is an opportunity to really partner with a lot of these different folks uh, to help bring some of those benefits to customers. So again, right. it's a bit early to give too many details on that, but um, you know what what you will see is that over the course of um, you know the rest of this year, we'll we'll be making our our vision and our viewpoint there much much crisper and clearer. All right, great, great. Other question out of the blue, which you know not particularly relevant, but uh, what we're seeing in the in the community space is NSX and the pickup of NSX, right, and becoming you know really a, a core technology. Um, are you guys seeing this? How does NSX play with regard to cloud native? You know, is it the connective plumbing between clouds? Oh, yeah, um, it's huge. What's your assessment there? Yeah, and you know, I haven't even really talked about Photon, which I need to, uh, because NSX plays a big role with Photon as well. But just talking about NSX specifically, it's, a, it's an extremely powerful technology. And I think, as we talked about on our earnings calls, you know, it's something that's you know, really popular amongst customers. And we're just seeing a, a lot of pickup uh, of that technology. And so, you know, they're doing a bunch of work in terms of, um, you know, supporting uh, natively containers and NSX as well, so that, you know, you can do micro-segmentation down to containers. Um, and that's great. You know, if you have vSphere integrate containers, we can actually integrate with NSX today and, and give you that per container micro-segmentation. But NSX is also making it work, so you can do it uh, if you're not running on vSphere, you're running somewhere else that doesn't have vSphere integrated containers. Uh, you know, NSX has also talked about, uh, I think they announced this last year at VMworld, talking about their ability to do networking cross-cloud. So they actually showed NSX running on Amazon and giving you micro-segmentation there, connecting back to your on-prem data center. So I think a lot of these use cases are going to be extremely useful and important for customers uh, as they start building out, again, you know, their, their strategies cross-cloud as well as you know, moving into more of the cloud-native space, having a dynamic uh, virtual networking technology like NSX is really pretty crucial to make all that happen. Okay, yeah, so perfect. very excited about that. So let me spend just a couple of, you know, yeah, five minutes on Photon, Photon maybe. Yeah, uh, yeah, so yeah. I don't want to scroll down. There. Uh, right. Well, you know, because we talked about these integrated containers, and, and then, right. again, I talked about that maturity curve, starting from you know a more fully traditional sort of environment to kind of the extreme of the web scale giants doing everything, you know, at massive scale. And again, you know, vSphere integrated containers is great because it allows you to 
uh, kind of get your feet wet, right? You don't need to reinvent everything. Uh, you can leverage what you already have. You can start re-architecting the applications. Or, you know, you don't even have to re-architect the application. You can just toss it into a container and, you know, start getting some of the benefits of um, on the test dev side without necessarily doing a full re-architecture, but still be able to run it in the environment which you have to, which is vSphere for that, those sort of traditional apps. Okay. Now, as you get further down the maturity curve, uh, what you start to find is that folks will say, you know what, uh, as I'm looking to get greater and greater levels of scale, efficiency, optimization, I really want to build out an infrastructure that's fully optimized for um, these sorts of use cases. So again, think back to Google, right? The type of infrastructure they run on the dot-com side is like drastically different and you know, night and day different from the infrastructure they run on the IT side. Right? So they have a traditional IT department that you know, runs all their sort of normal apps, and they have the dot-com side that runs Google.com, and it's got you know, 5 billion instances running <laughs> across the globe. Uh, right. So again, we start looking at that. Yeah. yeah, you start looking at that. You know, like your whole operational model changes, right? You have these things called SREs or site reliability engineers. They're effectively infrastructure admins, and, and their goal is to provide this really lightweight distributed infrastructure that will run um, the applications for the, the developers and app teams. And but it's up to the app teams to deal with any failure, right? So, you know, they have to keep the infrastructure humming as well as they can, but if something fails, well, the app team has to go and deal with it. And so, you know, that sort of infrastructure, again, is very different from a traditional one. And we start looking at that, um, you know, those sorts of requirements. That's exactly why we built Photon Platform. It's really designed for, you know, the kind of Google-style, if you will, operational model um, in our, our customers' data centers. And a lot of them are, are look, looking to do that, right? And I think the challenge they find is that a lot of the tooling out there just isn't sufficient or isn't mature enough for what they need to go and do here. They just kind of rebuild a lot of things themselves. It's a lot of manual effort. It takes forever. So the idea with Photon is it's easy to stand up. It's highly distributed, highly scalable. Uh, it's container-oriented, right? So you can provision all these different container frameworks on top of it. And what we're going to be doing over time is building in NSX and vSAN as well, so you get you know, automatic network uh, virtualization as well as you know, distributed storage. And so, again, the concept there is how do you make a super lightweight infrastructure that's kind of very DevOps friendly um, and, in the case of Photon Controllers, open source as well. So, right. so it's, it's, uh, it's, again, it's a different sort of use case than vSAN integrated containers is targeting, even though they're both within that cloud-native space. So if I'm a developer and I'm building apps and I'm building Linux apps, right? I mean, it's just a Linux kernel, right? It's, it, it has all the compatibility. I take it, we take a source snapshot just like Red Hat or whatever from a standard Linux kernel. So compatibility-wise, when you're building your apps and, you know, pulling, pulling microservice components down from Docker, it, you should be compatible. We don't really have an oh, engineering yeah. compatibility yeah. issue across uh, Photon no, versus... Uh, yeah, you know, I, but I think you know, as an industry, we've solved like the basic like individual container instance sort of compatibility. Like anyone can pull down a Docker image and run it. But as I was saying kind of earlier around the vSphere integrated containers uh, part, was that it's not about you know executing a single container. It's about how do you set up? You know, your app's not going to be one container. Your app's going to be a dozen containers, maybe a hundred containers, maybe a thousand containers. And so there's a lot of big problems you start getting into there. It's like how you deal with availability. How does your application handle um, 
um, scheduling? Are they, you know, how does that infrastructure handle scheduling? How does your app handle the availability? How do you deal with data persistence and data replication? And so those are the high-level challenges that you face. So you know, I, think, I think we have solved, the industry has solved a basic problem, but it's these higher-level problems um, that no one has repeatable solutions for, right? Individual companies go and create their own and kind of do it as a one-off thing. But I think what we're looking for now is how, how do we really uh, productize a, a standard solution for actually operating you know, containers uh, in production? And that's the challenge really that, that we're looking at. At a large scale. One of the things I'm looking at is how hard is it for an IT ops group that, you know, that chooses Photon and is looking at VMware integrated containers, how hard is it to go back to engineering developers and actually convince them that this is something that will be easy for them to consume? Right. So it goes two different ways. Uh, I've seen it play out both ways. Um, you know, probably most of the time it's actually the developers that are, like, asking for a lot of this stuff, that they, they want to do containers. They're playing with Docker and so forth. Um, and so they're kind of pressing on the operations folks to say, hey, come and support this thing. Uh, there are other times, though, where I do see the actual ops folks saying, you know, telling the developers, hey, you guys got to get with the program here start using containers, start you know, doing more agile development, get a continuous integration process in place. And um, you know, I think that goes to this higher order bit that we haven't touched on yet. We've been talking a lot about technology, but I think the higher order point is that a lot of the challenges here actually are not technical in nature. They're actually people process organization, right? right. <laughs> they're, they're cultural in nature. Um, I think you know, if you look at the shift to DevOps is probably one of those biggest transitions because when you think about DevOps, DevOps is really looking at a problem from like an end-to-end -end perspective, right? You know, how do you get from business idea to code running in production as quickly as possible? And, um, and, and, and in the DevOps uh, environment, the culture is that everybody owns that problem, you know, end-to-end. -end. We all, you know, each, each person has a specific area they, they you know, they, they're kind of accountable for, but they, they all are, they all own that end-to-end -end problem. So if they see something that's not going right some other area, they don't, you know, just ignore it. Uh, they, they have to jump on it and try to fix it, try to get people on it or fix it themselves or whatever it is. And so I think that's really the, the big thing. It's like it's not siloed thinking. It's moving away from those silos and <clears throat> looking at how can, you know, in this case, developers and operations actually work together to produce those solutions. So sure. you got to get away. You got to get away from the us and them mentality, and it's more like how do we all do this together, right? Now, that's sure. easier right. easier said than done, and you know we don't have time in, in this talk to go uh, <laughs> into any real depth there. But there's it's you know it's an area that um, that you know a lot of folks are talking about, a lot of folks are looking at, and I you know I was just at a um, a CIO roundtable last week in Vegas at uh, the Spring One conference. And uh, there's a bunch of these guys, you know, very high-level guys. And, and you know, interestingly, uh, throughout the whole day, the actual majority of the discussion was not around technology. It was all around people, process, organization, and culture. Right? And they, all of them were kind of scratching their heads saying, how do I get my teams reorganized around this, these, these new concepts? So right. I think that will be the that biggest problem. Sense. Yeah, and, and, and as a super geek, we don't, we don't want to even think about that. That's the hardest thing. <laughs> We avoid that. We have a couple minutes left here. If people want to learn more about this stuff, where's it? Where's the place to go hang out? I know we have a blog. Um, yep. There's the open source projects. What else can we tell tell them about this? Yeah. So there's uh, you know the probably the best thing to do is um, 
the, the various uh, our, our various open source projects on GitHub. Uh, we do have a blog uh, on um, VMware.com, and then um, you know we have some product page stuff there. But it's, honestly, the OSS is the best place to get information right now. And you know there, we've also done a bunch of um, you know presentations at different conferences. So if you're you know poking around the cloud native conference space, you'll probably see some of the talks from us. And then and then obviously come to VMworld, you you're gonna probably talk about some things, right? You can't talk about what you're gonna announce, but we can assume that you're gonna you're gonna you're gonna move the ball forward when you when we show up to VMworld this year. Yeah. So there's yeah, there's uh, yeah, that's a good point. There's a ton of activity happening at VMworld this year. So around cloud native. So that's another great great place to get uh, totally up to date. On everything we're doing. Right. And and I, I think there's a way, you know, we generally release all the sessions out on YouTube within a couple months. So uh, if you don't make it to VMworld and you want to catch up to on the 10 sessions that are cloud native or watch the keynote, the keynote stream for free. Everybody can sign up. So if you're in the keynote, you can you can watch Kit by signing up for the keynote. It's available. And then all the other sessions end up on YouTube in the in the, in the month, months that follow. We record them all and we put them up on YouTube. So uh, all of those sessions you should be able to consume even if you don't go to VMworld. Uh, so that's another way, another another place to get get information about the products. Um, do we have a cloud native sales team? Anybody out there that uh, you know makes calls and consults? If you're a big enterprise, do we do we engage with customers in that oh, yeah. way? We absolutely do. Yeah, I mean, um, you know, we're kind of looking at our customer community engagement two different lenses. One of which is kind of through the open source lens. How do we get out there with open source projects and engage the community kind of bottoms up? But we also definitely have a more traditional sort of enterprise sales model where we go and, and make calls and, and talk to um, you know different folks directly inside of different companies. So yeah, so we're kind of balancing both approaches. Right. So how big a deal do I need to have in order to get you to show up and you know and do your pitch? I'm everywhere. So Right. Perfect. Perfect. Well we're at the top of the hour. What else can we tell you? Your Twitter handle is what are we following uh, you at? Yeah, it's Kit Colbert. K I T C O L B E R T. That's not a hard one to figure out. Right. Awesome. Awesome. <laughs> Uh, well, Kit, it's always great to have you on the show. We're looking forward to seeing you at VMworld. You're you're, you're an absolutely amazing guy to watch. It's it's fun to have you here. Don't don't quit. Don't ever leave. Uh, we need guys like you. It's 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 great. Thanks for being on the show. Uh, let me know if we can do anything for you. And thanks for everybody showing up and and listening. And we will be we will be marketing this out over the next couple of weeks. So if you're not listening live, no problem. We're on iTunes, and uh, and we're glad. You listen because we watch our accounts to see how we're doing. So, Kit, thanks for joining the show. Appreciate it. All right. Thank you, guys. All right. We'll see you again. All right. Thanks. Bye-bye. Bye. If you only have a 401k, you're not getting the most for retirement. Wait, what? Add a Robinhood IRA on top, then they'll boost it by 3%. You can do that? And if you transfer in any retirement account, you get 3% on top of that. Is there a limit to the match? No limit. Robinhood Gold gets you the biggest contribution match of any IRA on the market. Sign up for Robinhood Gold at Robinhood.com slash boost by April 30th. Subscription fees apply. Investing involves risk. 3% match requires gold for one year from first match. Must keep IRA for five years. Match on transfers subject to additional terms and conditions. Robinhood Financial LLC, member SIPC.